First Peter chapter two. You can look at the screen and see the title of my sermon today. It's not meant to offend you, but as I considered what, how to express what we're going to talk about, this was the simplest and most biblical way I could, could do that for these first three verses because these are words that Peter himself uses. Put it away and grow up. Now, I don't know that he said it that concisely and in a, a, a fatherly kind of tone, but I don't know that he didn't either. Probably was in that kind of a tone, considering who Peter was and his personality. So, so last week we were reminded that every second of our life is lived under the sovereign side of God before the face of God. There's nothing that we do that he doesn't see and that causes some amount of fear in people, in us. It certainly causes us to be uncomfortable, but it also helps Christians to live properly under that kind of fear of the Lord. God sees. God knows. And so I need to practice obedience to the truth, which purifies my soul more and more and leads to earnest and genuine love for other Christians in the body of Christ. This is what was wrapped up in those last few verses in chapter 1. And this all happens by the Spirit and through the Word or by means of the Word of God. People are saved and continually changed by God through His Word. The Word of God is alive and will endure. As the last verse in chapter 1 says, it will, it will last forever. It endures forever. This is the good news of the Gospel, which Peter said is the ransom of sinners by the precious blood of Christ which was planned before the foundation of the world, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 said. The grass withers, I've already quoted this today, the grass withers and the flower falls, but his word stands forever. So at the beginning of chapter 2, Peter begins by telling us how now we should respond to this enduring word. So let's read First Peter chapter 2, the first three verses. So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Lord, there are many here. I'm confident, as I can see the fruit in their life, they have tasted and seen that you are good. But there are some who haven't. And Lord, you're the one who's going to sort that out, Lord. But in, in this time that we have on this earth, as your people, we want to see many taste and see your goodness, experience what it looks like to know and love and be loved by the creator God. And so, Lord, I pray that as, as we dive into these first three verses and are instructed by them, I pray that you would be helping us as we saw taking off this robe, Lord, that we would take off these these sins that entangle us so easily. So, Lord, we, we know that you are faithful to do this and to use your word to do it, and I pray that you would today. In your name we pray. Amen. So, that's the first word in chapter 2. So, or therefore, or we could even say, in light of... Previous things that Peter has already discussed. And just a quick recap, they're in your notes. Here are the things that Peter has mentioned. And he's going to go on and talk. He's going to say, this is true because of these things. These things are 
the purification of a Christian's soul through obedience to the truth, a growing and earnest love for the body of Christ, the fact that God's word is eternal and true, the fact that it is also powerful enough to overcome possible things that might destroy Christ-like love in the body. In light of all of those things, Christians are supposed to put off some stuff. And, and Peter lists them. And I think Peter goes back to the metaphor of chapter 1, verse 13, when he said to gird up the loins of your minds, uh, be prepared for this sort of thing, for, for the coming struggle. What, what's the struggle? Well, Christian, we know what the struggle is. We're reminded in verse 14 and 18 of chapter 1. Verse 14 says the struggle is with the passions of our former ignorance. Verse 18 says, the struggle is with the futile ways inherited by our forefathers. Now Peter lists some of what these ignorant passions and futile ways are in verse 1. And in listing them, he makes it crystal clear, these cannot have root in the heart and life of a believer. These things cannot remain. They have to be put away. Now, before we get too far into it, that phrase, put away, maybe if you've got a different translation, it might be translated, uh, lay aside, cast off, or put off, or lay down. That Greek word for that is used eight times in the New Testament. Seven of those eight times, it is in this same exact kind of meaning of putting off sin. These references are also in your notes. I want to move through them quickly because I think it's important for us to see. This isn't like a one shot from Peter. This is a teaching throughout the New Testament. Romans 13, 12, cast off the works of darkness. Ephesians 4, 22, put off your old self, which he says is corrupt. Ephesians 4, 25, put away lying. Colossians 3.8, put off anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Hebrews 12.1, lay aside every weight of sin. James 1.21, put away all filthiness and wickedness. And then 1 Peter 2.1, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. We have to, to, to put it off. And I, I told you that seven of the eight times are used in this way. You want to know what the other time that it's used is. I think this is telling. It's in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Let me read that for you. Then they cast him, Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down, that's the word, cast off their garments, their cloaks, at the feet of a young man named Saul. So the only time that it's not used in context of putting off sin, it actually has the same connotation as what those guys are getting at who used it that way. It's just like what Jason demonstrated for the kids. They took off their cloaks to stone Stephen. We as Christians take off our old selves as if we're taking off a coat. That's exactly what the authors are getting at here. Like you would take that off, like you would take off a coat, Christians are supposed to take off the old self. Those futile ways that we inherited from our forefathers, all of that worthless stuff, put it away, lay it aside. Hebrews 12.1 says, every sin that so easily entangles us, put away, take it off, lay it aside, the passions of your former ignorance, the futile ways 
of your fathers. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, Peter lists some of these specific things. Now, I don't think that this is an exhaustive list, surely, but he is saying that these are definitely sins that should not represent a believer. They should be repented of and avoided. And I do want to point out, too, that as we look at these, these sins very much affect relationships within the body. The ones that we're going to talk about, that Peter lists here, these specifically affect relationships in the body of Christ. And he's just told Christians who have been ransomed by the blood of Christ to be obedient and to practice obedience to the truth that will in turn purify our souls and lead us to further earnest love for the body. And so this is still the same train of thought in Peter's mind, and so we should read it that way too. Peter's readers have been born again by the Spirit, and therefore they ought to love one another. And so he tells Christians to set aside, to put off these kinds of sins that might cause very big problems within a church. And as much as we don't appreciate having specific sins called out in our lives on us, Peter does it anyway. He says, put aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Let's just briefly talk about what these are. Malice, this isn't a word that we use all that often, but you know where you do hear it a lot is in legal talk. Specifically, if someone is being charged with something, they'll say that they've done this with malice. Okay, so that Greek word also means just badness. It means evil. It means wickedness, depravity. And to live in a way that that describes you is not the mark of someone who has been redeemed. Is not the mark of someone who has been saved by the blood of Christ, but it is the mark of someone who is still unregenerate. Again, our legal system uses this term to describe when an action has been taken with a desire to do harm to someone. So they say with, with malice they did this sort of thing. It has to do with a desire of the heart, the purposeful intent to hurt somebody else. And what does Peter say? Put it away. Take it off. Throw it down, take off malice, and do not put it back on. And he goes to deceit. He says, also, all, put away all deceit. This is, this is trickiness. This is um, craftiness. No, I'm not talking about arts and crafts and painting and stuff. I'm talking about um, Looney Tunes. Do you guys remember Looney Tunes? Some of you younger folks might not. But do you remember the Roadrunner and, and who in his... His arch enemy was Wiley Coyote. You guys know that, that his name is a play on words. Wile, E is his middle initial, Coyote. Wiley and Wiley means trick, you know, tricker, trickster, that kind of a thing. Um, he, he was never successful in the cartoon. In fact, all of his traps and, and, and tanglements, they all ultimately kind of leading to his own demise in all of those things. Uh, what Peter's describing is an attempt to do something similar, though, to, to, to trick people, to distort the truth, to hide or undermine the truth. And Peter says that Christians are not going to do this. You're not going to take advantage of someone by hiding the truth or by tricking them into something or to believing something. No, Peter says, do away with it. Take it off and don't put it back on. Next, he moves to hypocrisy. This word, literally in the Greek, just means acting. 
means acting. Pretending to be something that you're not. Especially in a spiritual sense of it. It usually means pretending to be better than other people. Looking down on them. And all the while, you're not even living up to the same measure that you're holding them accountable accountable to. Now, I believe that the opposite of hypocrisy is actually another H word, and that's humility. You want to steer clear from being a hypocrite? Practice being humble. And of course, I don't mean false humility, because false humility is still driven by pride. Look at me. Look how humble I am. I mean humility that counts others as more significant than ourselves. That's how uh, Paul described Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Hypocrisy is thinking that you're better than you really are. But humility is thinking others are better than they really are. Think about that. We're giving them the benefit of the doubt. We're counting them as more important. We're deferring to them instead of thinking that we are the most important. Paul said, or Peter says, put hypocrisy away. Take it off and don't put it back on. Practice humility, brothers and sisters, and hypocrisy will be driven out of your life more and more. Then next, Peter calls Christians to put away envy. The Greek word for this means jealousy, spite, ill will. The question is, can you truly be happy for someone when you're jealous of them? Because see, if the funny part about this is, if I act happy for you on the outside, while on the inside I'm jealous, now what does that make me? A hypocrite. (laughs) Right? So these things are certainly tied together. Envy would really include being jealous of someone else's possessions or wealth, their home, you know, their cars, their belongings, whatever. But I don't think it's only those things. I think we can be envious or jealous of someone else's happiness. Maybe the health that they have that we don't. Maybe their reputation or maybe even a spiritual gift. Maybe even just kind of some ability that they have that we don't. It's, it's really difficult to show earnest love, which is what people in the body should be doing, as Peter's already said, it's really difficult to show earnest love for someone when you're jealous of them. Because hypocrisy wells up and you put on an act and you make them think that you're happy for them when all the while you're jealous and hurting and bitter inside. Envy, jealousy, these things disrupt and inhibit genuine love for brothers and sisters in the church. And Peter says, take it off. Don't pick it back up. Think about this. When Christians are envious of others, we insult God by devaluing the incredible inheritance that we have in Christ. Because we have that as his children. And when we're jealous of what someone else has, it's as if we're saying, God, what you've given me is not enough to make me happy. And we've lost sight of the incredible inheritance that we have been given Nothing that anyone else could possess is comparable to the unspeakable gift that we have in Jesus Christ. So Peter says, lay down envy and jealousy and don't pick it back up. And then the last on his list is he says to put away all slander. King James Version says evil speakings. This basically just means defamation. 
It means backbiting. Kids, no, I don't mean actually trying to bite someone else's back. I mean that you uh, use hurtful words when someone's not around to tear them down, to destroy their character, to hurt them. And unfortunately, this doesn't just kind of stop in our childhood with name-calling, does it? Without godly discipline and practicing obedience to the truth, slander tends to take root in our younger years and then blossom to just full-grown character assassination in, in adulthood. Political campaigns are run on this very premise. Relationships are tarnished by these things and ruined by them ultimately. Churches are split by these things. Here's an interesting thought. Putting envy and jealousy away goes a long way toward curing us from slandering other people too. Peter says, he says, put away slander, lay it aside, take it off with no intent of putting it back on. Now, if we look at a really similar passage, and I'd encourage you to turn here to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. There are a couple of pretty similar passages. Colossians 3 is one. Ephesians 4 is where you'll go with me. Paul describes the new life in Christ and what it looks like to put off the old self and to put on the new self Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Those things sound familiar, right? Here's what it looks like to put them away. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So that's what it looks like to take off the old self, all of those others, those sins that so easily entangle us, especially in the church. This is what the alternative looks like to put on the new self, godliness, character. R.C. Sproul says that the term born again believer is redundant and unnecessary. And I would tend to agree because if you have been born again, you are a believer. And if you have not been born again, you're not. We use the term, I think, though, uh, born again, to be clear about what we believe about the doctrine of, of regeneration. But we could just simply use Peter's term of being born again and be fine. And I think this is an important term for Peter and for us because notice how he uses the term born again and then in verse 2 he goes back to the beginning of life. Like newborn infants, he says. I don't think that Peter is even referring to new converts here. Now, there are some passages in Scripture where new Christians are referred to as, as babies, that sort of thing. Um, there are other places even where biblical authors rebuke people who have been Christians for some time and yet are still on a purely milk diet. These people that he's rebuking or that that biblical author is rebuking don't seem to understand or interested in chewing on the meat of the real deep things of the Lord and his word. But in verse 2 of 1 Peter 2, the King James helpfully includes a phrase. It says, desire the sincere spiritual milk of the word. Desire the, the, the real genuine 
undefiled milk of the word. And I think that the point Peter is making is a comparison. It's, it's kind of um, like, hey, just like newborn babies crave milk, so Christians are supposed to crave the word of God. This isn't complicated. This is, in fact, something that we can really verify easily. When a, a newborn baby is hungry, they let you know in no uncertain terms. And it almost seems like if you don't feed them in the next 30 seconds, they might die. That's, that's the feeling that we get as parents. And we know better. We know that they won't die immediately. But we need to get that to them quickly because they're acting as if they, they won't make it because they crave it so much. The neck, the desire for a baby's next feeding or, or bottle is what they're most passionate about in that moment. Peter says that Christians ought to be similar to this. They ought to desire or long for the pure milk of the word, just like a baby longs for his next meal. So the question arises, does my desire for the word of God match that kind of feeling? Because we, we can hear babies, and praise God, we hear babies here. We can hear them hungry for their next meal. Does my spiritual longing for the word of God match that? Do I feel as though I just might die if I don't get more of God's word in me? Notice next uh, thing I'll point out that Peter says, desire the pure milk, pure spiritual milk. And, and here's a kind of a gross question. Have, have any of you gone to the, the fridge and pulled out the milk jug, poured yourself a glass of milk, and then taken a big drink only to now realize that it's no longer good? You know what I'm talking about? What do you do with that? You, you spit it out, right? You, you do not want to be swallowing that. You don't want to swallow defiled and spoiled milk. You know what? We go to the fridge. We won't be satisfied with spoiled milk. So we shouldn't be satisfied with tainted and rotten doctrine either. Not everything you read in Christianity today is sound doctrine. And some things you see on the 700 Club are spoiled milk, if you know what I mean. Those who have been born again, they do what the theme verse of Awana is, which comes from 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, be diligent, labor, study, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's our desire. To know and to love and desire and crave the word, the pure word, undefiled word of God so much that we rightly handle it. That it, inf- that it affects how we talk to people. The decisions that we make, they're made because we're rightly handling and dividing the word of truth. Study to know what pure spiritual milk tastes like so that when you hear or see something, that's not truth, that's not pure spiritual truth, you can know when you need to spit it out. You see what I'm saying? Spoiled and impure milk will not help a baby grow, and in a spiritual sense, it won't help you grow either. So you need 
It's pure spiritual milk. In fact, Peter says, that's the way that you will grow up into salvation. That's the next phrase. You will only grow up into salvation if you are being satisfied by the pure spiritual milk that comes from the word of God. Look at verse 3. Peter says that only that a person only longs for spiritual milk if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let me put it as simply as I know how. You won't have a desire for the word of God if you haven't been born of his spirit. Peter says that a person will long for the pure word of God and grow up into it if they have had a taste of his goodness. This tells me two things. And these are as convicting to me as they are to you, brothers and sisters. Two things we learn from this. You will not yearn for the word of God if you don't know God. But if you do know God, you will yearn for his word. You will long for it like a baby longs for milk. I think I do think that some of us lack a desire to read the Bible because we genuinely don't know the Lord. But I do also think that some of us lack a desire for his word because we've forgotten how good the Lord really is. Maybe we've been so wrapped up in one of the sins that Peter has called out here that we have forgotten what it is to taste and see that the Lord is really good. Because we're not likely to care about reading the Bible if we're distracted by what everybody else has and what we don't, right? And we're envious of them. We're not likely to care about his word. We're probably not going to make time for his word if we're caught up in putting on a show for everybody in hypocrisy. Because it's all about the show, not what's real. We're probably not going to give proper attention to the word if we're happy spending our time slandering others. Peter's words hopefully remind us of Psalm 38 that I read earlier. Verse 8 there says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Maybe Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Or maybe Psalm 19:10 says, The law of the Lord is sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. This is the, this is the idea behind fasting. That the word of God is so rich to us that it can replace physical food for a time. And that that is what we feed on. Instead of eating those meals, we spend our time feasting on the word of God and on who he is. And we taste and see that he is good. To use Peter's own words, he says to long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Are we doing that? Are we longing in that way? If you have tasted the goodness of the Lord... How could you not want more? What brings you to church on Sunday? Any number of reasons could be given. I hope the one that drives you the most is a hunger and a thirst for more of the Lord, for more of his word. To be sure, I mean, you can't just eat. Imagine if you were to, to go home from, from church and eat lunch and that was the only meal you ate all day. Or imagine you get up any other number of days and you eat breakfast and that's it. Or maybe, it's a little closer to home, maybe you eat a meal on Sunday afternoon and that's it for the whole week. Is that going to work? Of course not. 
we would get really hungry again. You guys know where I'm going with this. If we think that the only time that we feast on the Word of God is on Sunday mornings and that's it the rest of the week, we are being deprived and we are staying immature as believers. It can't just happen on Sunday mornings. That's not a schedule that you would want to keep in your own regular eating time. Don't do it in your spiritual fulfillment either. So we instead, we taste and see that the Lord is good with brothers and sisters as we gather together in the church. It's good, but taste the goodness of the Lord every day as you open up his word and let him fulfill your need. So here's my last blank on my notes this morning that I hope you will consider. Specifically for the Christian this morning, put away the things of the flesh and grow up into your salvation. And that goes back to the title, put it away and grow up. Put away these things that Peter says and every sin that so easily entangles us and grow up into your salvation. The Lord is good to have started this kind of a work in you. He's faithful to complete it. Turn to our last passage from Lamentations. Might be an unusual passage to turn to. Turn to Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Did you hear what he said? The Lord is my portion. That has to do with food here. The Lord is the one who sustains him, who fulfills him. Jesus had this same response when being tempted in the wilderness. He responded and said that his food is every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, Christian, believer, it won't be very different for us. We still need the food of the word of God every day, not just once a week. Are you seeking the Lord? As these verses said, it is good for those who seek him. Are you seeking him? Are you waiting quietly for his salvation. In his goodness, he gives it to those who couldn't earn it, who don't deserve it. And if you've recognized that that's you this morning, you don't have to jump through hoops. You don't even have to come talk to me. You can sit where you are, repent of your sin, and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and put your full faith in him and be saved. Christian, are you putting away the things of the flesh that Peter calls us to? Are you putting away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander? Are you longing for the pure milk of the word? Because I'm convinced that once you taste the goodness of God, you will want more of it. And you will want to be around others who want more and more of it. And you will want others to know how to get it. Is that the desire of our heart this morning? Let's consider that as we pray. Lord, great is your faithfulness. Your steadfast love never does come to an end. They're new every morning. And today, Lord, maybe someone's listening this morning who who doesn't know you, 
they've recognized that their sin has created a, a unpassable gap between them and you. Lord, the only thing that can bridge it is the sacrifice of Christ. And so, Lord, in your goodness, you have called sinners to repent. And so, Lord, I pray that you would call people to repent today. Christians who have been saved for a while, Lord, they need to repent of these sins that Peter calls out. I need to repent of these things. And so, Lord, as you have called us, you will give us a grace by your Spirit to leave these things behind, to lay them down, to set them aside, to put them off, put it down. Lord, in, in doing that, it frees us to be able to grow up into our salvation and to taste and see that you are indeed good, Lord. And when we do that, we want more. And we want others to want more. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be ones who go propelled by the joy of knowing you to speak the truth to our neighbor in love and that many might be saved as a result of the power of your word. In your name we pray, amen.